Hey friends, this is Boss Barista. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. Hey friends, we're back with another chapter of the abortion series. Today we're talking to Jennifer, who is based in New York and shares her story of having an abortion while she was working in coffee. Uh, we're not sharing Jennifer's last name, but if you can figure it out, she says she welcomes your DMs, so please slide them over. We're really excited to get to share these stories, and honestly, I'm a little overwhelmed by how many people responded to the first story we shared with Katie. We got so many direct messages, so many emails, just sharing how much this story touched them and how important it was to continue to normalize these stories. So without further ado, here's Jennifer talking about her experiences. All right, so we're recording now. So why don't you tell us where you are right now? Uh, I am in Brooklyn, New York. It is still in the throes of summer, and there might occasionally be subway train noise in the background. So if I need to repeat myself at any point, you can just let me know. Why don't you start from the very beginning, or even backtrack to kind of set the tone for us? Okay, so I'll backtrack a little bit. Do you want me to backtrack to the part where I heard the podcast, or do you want me to backtrack to just that point in my life? Wherever you want to start. Okay, cool. I'm going to let that train go by. <laughs> there it is. We started, started with that note, and there it goes. That one is pretty mild. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased. Maybe they know what I'm up to. Okay, so we're going to rewind to approximately three summers ago. It was definitely three summers ago actually. And nope, we're going to rewind even further. We're going to go back about six months. Um, so I had just gotten the job that I wanted at the company I was working for as a retail education manager, super stoked, just came back from training, living my best New York life. I'm about 28 at this point, um, undergoing my own exploration in self-love and, you know, sexual positivity and just really kind of exploring what it means to be JCJ at that age, essentially. So I'm having a pretty good time at this point and feeling good. And normally what I think happens at this point is you really kind of open yourself up to the things that you're looking for. So boom, I fall in love with this super gentle, thoughtful artist that lives in Bedside, and we click at a friend's party and I go from a non-monogamous stream of fluid lovers to just seeing this one person head over heels in love. Everything is great. It seems like my life is completely clicking into place. And fast forward a couple of months, things start to get weird pretty quickly. Uh, he had some previous relationship trauma involving adultery and was very paranoid and insecure about a lot of things, which we had talked through and I was ready to help him heal through, but I don't think I really understood the extent to what that was. So we are pretty serious at this point, even still, and I'm really committed to making it work. I introduce him to my friends, which is the thing I never do. I have a separation of church and state often when I'm dating or used to, this is past tense at this point, but things seem to be going really well. I decide that it's time to stop being so stupid. We're having a, a lot of intimate moments and it's time to go on some form of more 
uh, serious birth control. So I have chronic migraines and I can only take certain things and the pill makes me crazy. So the IUD was constantly presented to me as the most viable option for dealing with my headaches, uh, my reproductive issues outside of that. And it was kind of worth a shot at that point. So I'd done a lot of talking to the folks at Planned Parenthood who shout out to them. They are so great. Um, Still to this day, I'm really thankful for the experience I've had with them for the last 15 years of my life. Um, so I set up the appointment for that and the woman just tells me not to get pregnant in the next 30 days. You know, we had scheduled that around some other testing that I needed to do. So awesome. Cool. Ready to go. Um, I guess that's kind of a point where, you know, the plot thickens here. So not everything is great. Um, I go on a trip, my partner, we'll call him Adam gets really paranoid about me being gone for 72 hours. We get into huge fights when I get back and it just seems as if the bubble had burst completely. So I'm scrambling to understand what's going on. We're trying to talk through it. We get back together for a second. I'm really confused about everything that's going on and just trying to get a sense of where he's coming from. Maybe I wasn't as communicative as I needed to do. Doing that thing you do often as as the female role in a relationship in which you're compensating a lot and just assuming it was you that did something wrong. So fast forward some more, he breaks up with me over something incredibly petty. And I just kind of, I wake up at that point, you know, it was over introducing some out of town friends to my apartment and telling them where to drink. And he knew all this was happening and decided to text message, break up with me like a crazy person who does that in 2015. No one. No one or everyone, I guess everyone. Um, So we proceed to argue a ton and I'm trying to make sense of it. I stop trying to make sense of it. I just drink myself into oblivion. I decide that's going to be my funeral for this relationship. And I've decided to call it quits. Um, Next day, we agree to meet up to just like finalize everything. And it turns really nasty. He starts acting really crazy and telling me this insane narrative about how he was just trying to turn me into his ex that had cheated on him five years ago the entire time, down to specifically telling me details of what I did that was not like her and how I could be more like her. So needless to say, for someone that thought she had found the person for her, this is pretty traumatizing. Um, So we argue it out. I decide in a moment of insanity to just open up to him even further and kind of show him some of my vulnerabilities. And we have an intimate moment. I guarantee you this is the moment that I got knocked up. Um, It was a simple mistake. The next day, things are kind of okay. And we break up for good a couple days later. He just kept getting perpetually nuts. I had had enough. I decided to move on with my life. This appointment was still coming up. I decided to go through with getting an IUD anyways, because it would help me with a lot of my other health issues, or hopefully it was worth trying. Um, And my body starts acting really weird two weeks beforehand. Stereotypically weird. I am nauseous. I can't eat. I'm uncomfortable. My boobs are huge. I'm getting rashes on my arms. And all I want to eat for some reason is hot dogs and pickles, but only when the sun is down. It's really uncomfortable. So, you know, I laughed to myself. I'm like, there is no way that I am pregnant right now. There's no way. So on my lunch break in between trainings, 
I go downstairs to the Dwayne Reed, that's a CVS or Walgreens around here, in case you're not familiar, um, get a pregnancy test, take it in the bathroom upstairs, and it turns colors immediately. I am full-fledged pregnant. So uh, I'm at work when I find this out. My coworker comes in for training, takes one looks at me, knows that something is wrong, and I just burst into tears. And he was so sweet. He he sat with me and he assured me everything was going to be okay and that this wasn't the end of the world and we were going to get through it. And I'm so thankful for that moment, but I had no idea what to do. I thought my entire life I would know what to do. I'm very pro-choice. I, I believe in having children when you want them and when the time is right. And I think that you can get through that no matter what decision you make. But my decision for myself was I would only have children when I was absolutely ready. And I did not feel anywhere close to ready in that moment whatsoever. I was dealing with someone that was potentially emotionally unstable. So I decided that I was just going to handle it myself. Um, I got a traditional abortion. Um, this is the non-medically induced kind. I'm not sure what the proper terminology for that is even still. Um, I went into the doctors to get a blood test to make sure it is entirely certain that I was pregnant. At this point, I had decided I wasn't going to tell him at all. I was just going to handle it. He would never have to know. It would be fine. I was about four weeks in. So this was a very, very early catch, if you will. So I go. I find out for sure. I talk to a counselor at the, the clinic in Manhattan. This is Planned Parenthood once again. I just need to keep giving them credit because they deserve it. And... I break down, like I, I second guess myself. I don't think it's fair to make that decision alone. So I, I call, I call Adam and he's stunned at first. When I tell him, he asks me if I'll be around the next day, we should meet up and talk, is very kind on the phone. And then we hang up agreeing to talk the next day. As soon as I hang up the phone, the text message, I'm going to call it bullying because that's what it felt like, started immediately. Was I going to keep it? Am I crazy? He's just a child. He can't afford to have a child of his own. Mind you, this man was 33 years old. He's nowhere close to a child whatsoever. Um, and it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. I tell him, I don't know. I want to talk about it. It's also new. I just found out and he is not hearing it. He's just going and going and going. So I finally get him to back off and agree to meet with me the next day. I'm pretty distraught. I talk to my ladies about it, go to work the next day and reach out to him when I'm off shift to meet up and the excuses come. I know he can't see me on that day. He's too busy, blah, 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 blah. Just starts to make a ton of excuses. More harassment comes, like, just get an abortion. What are you doing? We don't need to talk about this. I don't have time to talk about this. And just completely abandoned me emotionally on that altogether. Um, that was pretty hard to deal with. I never thought that he would be the type of person to do that to me. I never thought I'd be the type of person to get myself into a situation like that. So I gave up on him after a few choice words that were not very nice, but whatever. Um, and talked to all of my friends and went over all of the options. 
and made a decision from there. So the wild option was I was going to move back to my hometown and raise this child with my good friend, Amy. And then it was, maybe I could just have a baby in New York, or maybe I shouldn't have a baby. And like, what is it going to feel like to have a child with someone that was not very nice to me at all towards the end of our, our relationship? And at the end of the day, I had to just be honest and realize that I could barely financially take care of myself. And I was just starting to figure out what my life was going to be. And I didn't want to have a child out of resentment. And that's the emotional reality behind it. And that was the hardest part of making the decision, the logistics of it, the practicality, how safe and ethical I felt it was, was still completely sound in my head. But dealing with the emotional war inside me was something that I did not expect. So uh, I go through with it. I had one friend take me there and I had one friend meet me at home with all my favorite snacks and beverages. And it was a relatively painless, easy process. Everyone was very kind. They talked me through all of the steps. I had a slight sedative, which was supposed to make you just feel woozy, but it knocked me out completely. The whole thing took probably about 10 minutes and it felt like 10 seconds. They let me sit there as long as I liked. And that was it. That was it. Um, oh, crap. I forgot a very important detail. Throw it in there. Cool. So when I got this procedure done, I decided to get the IUD at the same time. So uh, instead of having two separate experiences that might be somewhat difficult, I've heard that IUD insertion can be painful for some people. And I was a little nervous about that. So to get that taken care of, because that was something that I wanted to do. And also as some sort of accountability on my person and making sure that I was not setting myself up for the same thing to happen again, you know? So I just did a two for one situation. And so for me and IUD placement was, so easy. I didn't feel it at all, but I've heard different experiences from other people. So I don't want to to share a misconception that that is something that is not physically painful. It might be for some people, but for me, it was easy peasy. Um, what I had to deal with next, though, was figuring out what physical and emotional effects was I experiencing from from the abortion procedure I just had and what was based off of the IUD insertion and what was actually just dealing with a grieving process of making a difficult choice in my life and also losing a partner. So I had a trifecta of weird happening. Um, but I took that day off and the next day I went back to work. And the day after that, I went back to work and I didn't really tell too many people. I told a couple coworkers that are also very good friends with, but I didn't notify HR. I didn't tell my superiors. I didn't tell my parents. My sister was the only person in my family that knew. She took a little while to come around to my decision. Um, and I just kind of did the thing that I always do is when something hard comes up, I don't let it touch work. From a very young age, I was taught, you know, work and 
personal life are separate. You leave your personal life at the door and you come into work and you get it done and then you deal with your shit after. Like, that's it, you know? And to some extent, I think that's helpful for learning, like, discipline to just get through a day. Work is hard. Life is hard. Like, managing that is important. But I think it kind of fostered a negative behavior, even more so when taking on management roles, that I didn't tell anything tell anyone what was happening to me and just push through. And I know it affected my work performance and I just let it slide. And for me, as being someone that's always striving to be a little better at what I do, just letting things slide was almost just as bad as having to deal with any of the other emotional stuff. Cause I was letting myself down professionally. I was letting my staff down. I think they probably thought I just like didn't care that much anymore and had one foot out the door when really I was just dealing with my life essentially. Yeah. It seems like you mentioned having work and you mentioned being at work throughout this story, but at the same time there seems to be this like refusal to let it ever affect you there. Uh huh. Exactly. Do you, did that change as time passed? Um, after that moment, I think that was a quintessential moment in learning that communication is a two way street to not be sharing with some people. And I, even that, I think there's boundaries there. Like what's going on in your life might make someone uncomfortable. For instance, I can't just randomly talk to a barista about like my feelings about this process I'm having, like that is initiating actually a different conversation. You know, I should probably know whether they're pro-life or pro-choice. Like the conversation I might be having with them might be extra uncomfortable or contentious, you know? So having it be a political experience, unfortunately as well, you know, like is probably influenced me to pull that back. But since then, you know, in all of, I, I had a review after that and it was average. Like it was fine maybe by a lot of people's standards, but I was really bummed that I didn't ace that performance review. Uh, since then in my other ones, you know, when I talked to my superiors, because it, in the company structure I was in, even superiors have superiors. I was candid about where I was at emotionally and mentally mostly to prepare them for what might come in the future with my career. You know, like if I'm unhappy in the place that I'm in and in the position I'm in, it's, it's risky. It still feels risky to be able to say that to someone, but I think it's really important because they're not mind readers. As a boss, I've learned I'm not a mind reader. When, when staff communicates with me something that's happening to them, it's easier for me to help them find a solution than me just trying to figure out and, you know, Nancy drew what's going on, you know, and a lot of people attempt to do that and fail at it because they don't have all the facts, you know, and I think really what's important there is either making a work environment that's safe for you to open up about these things, or I mean, the alternative really is just being brave enough to do it. I think the only reason I was brave enough to start doing that was seeing the consequence on my staff and also seeing the consequence on myself and weighing the options like, what are they going to do? Fire me for being honest? Then I don't really want to work for that kind of company anyway. So it's just kind of building up the cojones to be able to put yourself in that position. Did you notice a difference in your job performance once you started to be more open? Uh, yes. Yes, I did. Um, for better or for worse. And being more open, it, it, it created mutual accountability. It created accountability for myself you know, 
cause and effect of like, okay, this is happening. Can I bring solutions to the table? But also if I'm unhappy, something directly related to my employment, are you bringing solutions to the table or are you complacent in it? So it definitely influenced my opinion about what was good for me, what wasn't, had I outgrown the role was I in, was I just in a wrong role in the first place? Is it time to move on? Like being that honest in that communication at work definitely brings that on, which at this point I'm very happy for. I think it's very important to be honest, even if it's hard. The tricky part there though is like money and survival. Like I can be honest. And then if that means admitting that this is the end of the thing, then I need to conquer a new challenge, which is finding new employment and is it sustainable and does it align with where I'm going with my career and that kind of thing. It's pretty layered. I don't regret it at all. What does it feel like telling this story now looking backwards? Like, do you, does it make you feel a certain way or do you feel so far like removed from that, that moment? I feel that's a really great question. I feel pretty in a good place about it now. Um, It's funny because when I, I heard your first episode, I had to process and write it all down just to make sense of it for myself because it had been a couple of years and, you know, you move on, but like, did you grow from it? Did you forgive that part? Did you heal? Like all those things. I had all of those conversations with myself because I haven't touched it in a while. It is not something I think about. It's a resource, honestly, that I pull when I encounter someone else that is going through a similar situation, or even if it's not similar, but just having the sense of like, I don't know what to do, like to be able to assure someone that is normal and ask if they want advice or if they want to talk about it is better than nothing, you know, to be able to be more open about it because I've had that experience. I don't take that back. You know, did my experience suck? yeah, it was not my favorite thing that's ever happened to me in this world. I would not want to do that again. You know, I've done everything I can to learn from that and not allow that to happen again. But I I don't, I wouldn't change anything. You know, I could go through hypotheticals of, you know, maybe if the situation was like this, this would be different, but that's not basing anything in reality. That's just where I was at in my life. That's what happened. I'm human. Shit happens. We got through it. It's fine. I'm just really grateful that, there were people in my life that were able to help me. Yeah, I was going to mention that. It seems like you had this very interesting dichotomy between having a close circle of friends that you could talk to, and you mentioned a lot of that, but at the same time, there are still people that you don't talk to about this. Yeah. Um, It's funny how that works. The people I don't talk to about it would be strangers and most of my family. And that's interesting to me, but I think with the relationships I've developed through work that have become friendships or friendships outside of work, there's this continual work on communication and trust that I can be open with these humans, which allowed them to help me, you know, so that's a two-way street also. I could have very well handled this situation like I've handled other situations in my life in which I don't talk about it at all and I just bottle it down and honestly I think I would be in a very different place right now if if that were still the case how do you balance that that feeling because I feel I feel very similar to you I think in that this is not a secret Mm -hmm. this is not a secret I have about myself but I still feel 
a lot of reluctance talking about it to people close to me, but I don't feel a lot of reluctance necessarily talking about it with people who maybe, I don't know, who like don't pose like a threat to my well-being. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel... I mean, yeah, the people genuinely, truly close to you aren't going, and it's a healthy closeness, shouldn't feel like a threat to you. I think this opens up a different topic that I could talk about forever, which we should probably try to minimize is the concept of family dynamic and how safe that actually feels, you know, and that's different for everyone, you know, we're like, I don't particularly feel good about doing that, or I'm trying to avoid making them feel bad. It's, I can handle them making me feel bad. I've, I've had practice in that, you know, but starting like, creating a wound or in them, like telling my 80 something year old grandma that I had an abortion, which might blow her mind and really break her heart. Like what, what am I accomplishing by doing that? You know, it's picking and choosing your battles and, and that's sensitive too, because like it's a political line. So if I don't say something to some of my family members, you know, they might vote in legislation that is totally detrimental to the experiment experience that I had and the availability of resources, you know, like, so I don't necessarily feel good about still wanting to not talk to my family about it. But I think part of me is afraid of the catalyst of that. I think, you know, like I have yet to do something that has inspired them to want to disown me or really be disappointed in me that I know of, you know, but this is like the first thing that I like kind of feel really precious about sharing with them. It probably doesn't help that my closest family member did not take it well at all. We're good now. And she worked through it and she understands and we love each other very much, you know, I'm, but it didn't really make me want to tell the rest of my family. What do you hope somebody listening to this gets from your story? I hope that people talk to themselves and that they talk to the people that they trust and they listen to all the opinions, but understand that at the end of the day, the choice is theirs. That's a right. It's something that's very precious. And if your gut is telling you to handle something one way, even if it's the unpopular opinion, you should do it anyways. And if the people in your life really love you, they're going to, they're going to let that happen. Um, that seems really like woo woo hippie, but I, I mean it. <laughs> I mean it. I think, I think it's, I think it's really incredible that we have this choice right now. I know it's in danger all the time still. It's not something that's certain medical care for women is, especially reproductive care is something we're going to have to fight for probably for the rest of our lives. You know, I hope any of our generation's future children and grandchildren don't have to experience this. I think it should be commonplace that you can just rely on HR at work to understand what's happening to you and not punish you for it, which is always like a fear in the back of my mind, you know, with every company I've ever worked for, that your friends are going to understand, that your family will understand, you know. But I think that understanding starts with you and it does start with the people that you care about. 
and then you can work from there, essentially. Just because you mentioned Planned Parenthood a couple of times, it reminded me Like 4,000 times? (laughs) 4,000 times, like give or take. But it reminded me of like this one kind of, uh, I forget what throwdown it was, but I think it was like a throwdown for Planned Parenthood. And I think a bunch of people lost their shit about that. Like why why would we support something that funds abortions, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm not sure if it's even a specific throwdown, but it seems like anytime anything like surrounding coffee supports Planned Parenthood, that becomes like a very politically uh, kind of dangerous place to be. And I wonder like, like, what does that like, like it's making me angry just talking about it right now. Oh my gears are so ground right now. It's not even, it's not even funny. I, okay. We, good Lord. Planned Parenthood is so much more than abortion procedures. That is like such a fraction of what they do. Planned Parenthood has been providing me healthcare. I was 28 when this happened to me. I had been getting healthcare from them 10 years prior. It was the first time, but they have helped me through every other thing that I've needed in my life as a woman, you know, as a young woman back before, like the concept of even having healthcare while working as a barista was even feasible in my mind. They've been helping me since day one. They have been non-judgmental. They are so supportive. Like when I was making this decision, they were not pushing me to do anything one way or the other. They were just asking questions and letting me talk. I think that's so important. Every other gynecologist I've been to, when I've had the luxury of insurance that would allow me to go somewhere else, I've been to two and they were such miserable nightmare experiences. They were, I did not feel safe. I felt really insecure. The questions and like the comments based on what I was there for and my answers to like the medical questionnaire was so inappropriate. I went right back to Planned Parenthood after that. I could, I could afford to go somewhere else and I still go there. I still give them my money. I donate whenever I'm not broke. You know, like it's very important to me because it's bigger than that. Planned Parenthood saved my life long before that. Like it's it's so important that we support them. And trying to limit, you know, the availability of health care based on a disagreement about what is right on one procedure is so backwards and so petty. And y'all need to get over yourself. well with that in mind support Planned Parenthood yes please (laughs) don't freak out if a latte art competition or any other coffee thing supports Planned Parenthood and listen and be supportive of your friends it seems like that really made a big difference for you yeah absolutely I mean you're not gonna agree with everything that your friends do or what their thought processes are that's the brilliance of being friends with people or interacting with humans is disagreeing peacefully you know you can have a difference of opinion but if you just take a second to make that person's experience and not about you you might actually hear what they have to say about what they're going through and I think a lot of people can't do that they're immediately interjecting like how they feel about that situation if it were them well guess what it's not you so just listen and just be there you know provide an opinion if someone wants it you know but mostly people just want a sounding board to deal with the experience that they're going through JCJ, you're awesome. I do what I can. It's been a lot of work, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for sharing your story with us. And I hope that 
I know this will resonate with other people. So again, thank you for being so open and honest. Of course. Thanks for having me. Is the train coming right now? It is coming right now. <laughs> I can't tell if it's the B or the Q. Is that slowing down? I don't think so. It's the B. <laughs> If you or someone you know has a story that they want to share, please reach out to us. We're at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. You can send us a direct message on Instagram or on Twitter. Um, I'm pretty easy to find myself. Uh, my name is Ashley Rodriguez. Um, you can email me directly too or find me on social media. I want to hear more of these stories. We can do more to normalize this experience for more baristas and make them more comfortable talking about it. So please call, write, send in your stories. We're thrilled to share them with you, and we'd be absolutely delighted for you to be on this podcast. Boss Barista was created by me, Ashley Rodriguez, and made in collaboration with Good Beer Hunting, which is an industry-leading brand studio, editorial platform, and podcast devoted to the many issues worth discussing around the things that we eat and drink. You can learn more at goodbeerhunting.com. Please check out their website. There are so many incredible articles that I find myself looking at constantly over and over looking for advice about how we can be better in the coffee industry. They're doing a great job and they're helping us make this podcast for you folks. So goodbeerhunting.com. Go ahead, check them out.